If we haven't met, my name's Mike, and I have the privilege of sharing our message today. Um, I'm from our Camas campus. Um, and before we jump in, though, I just want to go over a couple announcements. First thing is, if you got a bulletin when you came in, um, please read through things that are going on. There's too many to name. It's a busy, busy month. But please read through um, ways that you can either get involved or how we could serve you here at Mountain View Fellowship. And then in the seats in front of you, we have some cards. I know they're really pretty, so you might think they're just decoration, but we actually have a purpose for them. Um, we have, I want to point out a couple of special ones. Our orange one, tangerine. Is it orange? Orange. What is it? Arizona? Is that what this is our Connect card, and depending on what printer it was printed on, just look at this, look at the top. Uh, this is how we stay connected to you. I know there's a lot of information on the back. This isn't uh, an online survey. You don't have to fill out all of it. Um, you fill out as much as you want, but we want to stay connected to you. This is how we stay, stay in touch via emails, um, events that are going on, our monthly newsletters, but we want to be in, 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 stay in touch with you. And then the other one I want to point out is our prayer card. Um, this one is for you to be able to share with us things that are going on in your life, whether it's something you want to thank God for and you want other people thanking God with you, or if you have something going on in your life that you just want to share. We would love for you to take advantage of this card. If you know me, you know I, we're one of those weird churches that believes that Jesus is alive and we're going to be praying to him. So join us. And then at the end of the service, we have a time of offering and we'll pass around some baskets. And if you fill out any of these cards, you can just drop them in the basket and we'll get them where they need to go. If you are one of our children that was in here for communion, you are welcome to go to your kids' area if you'd like, or you can stick around. Um, that's up to you. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get started. We're doing something a little bit different this morning. You'll notice in your bulletins there's no notes. There's just a place for you to take your own notes. Um, today is going to be a little bit more of a story time. So I want to share with you kind of an Old Testament story. Some of you already know it, and that's fantastic. And kind of see how that relates to this season we're going through right now with the Christmas coming up. Um, when I was growing up, my dad worked a lot. And when, when my, you know, in my house, when dad worked a lot, it meant a lot of the day-to-day -day things. How many of you had a mom that ran the house a lot? Ain't no shame in that. So, but when I would get in trouble, when I would do, when I would disobey in, you know, various forms, uh, mom would usually take care of it. She was, she was a great enforcer of the law for the most part. But every once in a while I would really blow it and she would say that really terrifying sentence, wait till your dad gets home. I heard somebody say it, like somebody already knew it. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, like I can handle mom's rage but when mom decides not to be angry and she goes, nope, we're going to wait till your dad gets home. That is the most terrifying phrase on the planet. And I got to tell you, I don't have a scary dad. My dad is not, he, he, I'm, I was never, I've never been verbally, physically abused. It's just something about the, the, the design of a man being the man of the house. There is a fear that just goes deep into you when you know they're coming at you. And so if I, if I, if I messed up big time, I would go wait in my room, and then when my dad got off, um, I had one of those hallways. I had one of these hallways. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you had one of those hallways where you can hear somebody coming? It's good and bad. Okay. 
But I could hear my dad, and nobody, nobody, nobody walked like my dad. Nobody else walked like my dad in my house. So I knew dad was coming to my door, and I would, I would just be waiting, and, and like, this is it. Like, this is it. It's all, it's all going to end today. <laughs> and, and, and so, I, you know, there was times when, when I knew those footsteps coming down the door, this is not going to end well. I, was, I would probably usually, I'm already crying. Like, I, I'm bawling before he walks in the door. That's, I think you guys do that on purpose, by the way. I haven't got that on my daughter yet. But I think, I think that's part of it. You just make us cry ahead of time so we feel bad before you even walk in the door. It's brilliant. But then there's like these other times. So like my dad, he did work a lot. But my dad, he is an outdoors camping, hunting, fishing kind of guy. And, and every once in a while, he would get off work early and surprise us and take us out either shooting. He loves shooting guns. We would go shoot or we would go camping. And so if I was in my room and it was, you know, not nighttime, and I would hear his footsteps coming down the hall, and I know mom's, I'm not in trouble, I would know that something cool's about to happen, and I would kind of be like, oh, great, and dad would open the door, and it would be fun. I'd be like, awesome, what are we doing? You know, when you work a lot as a dad, you find little ways to take your kids and, and surprise them and spend time with them, and, and, and they were just awesome times, and that's what we would do is we would go do stuff outdoors and, and just get to spend time with my dad. And we're kind of going into the Christmas season right now. And one thing that's been really heavy on my heart for the last couple weeks um, is, is our relationship with God. And, and you know, the season is all about He is coming. God is coming. He's going to be born. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And I kind of had to check my heart a little bit because when I, was, when I think of God coming, you know what I was thinking of is, is wait till your dad gets home. And... And I'm thinking, you know, Christmas is supposed to be a time of celebration, but, but I've blown it. And, and, and when dad comes, he's going to come, and, and I'm going to hear his footsteps coming down the hall, and I'm going to go, oh, no, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. And, and, I, and both those elements of being a father are good. They're true. But I realized that I was having a hard time seeing God as the one who's coming to be with me, to spend time with me. And, and God kind of caught my attention through a passage from the Apostle Paul in Galatians. You don't have to turn there, but in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or Daddy, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that the Christmas story is so rich. And it didn't start when Jesus was born. It started so much before, so, much, uh, so many years before that. And Lord, I just pray that today as we take a look at, at how you designed and desire our relationship with you, that you would open up each one of our minds and hearts to be able to hear and receive what you want to show us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in your name. Amen. See, the Apostle Paul was one of the ones who, in a lot of ways, orchestrated the celebration of Jesus' birth. Did you know that? Before the Apostle Paul, other than the gospel account, there wasn't much to do with Jesus' birth because as Christians, our salvation is is based upon his death and resurrection. 
But it was the Apostle Paul who, when he started teaching, he started reminding people that there was more to Jesus' birth. And in this particular instance, I don't know what's happening. Am I cutting out? Oh, little. I like it. In, in this passage in Galatians, he actually brings up a story about 2,000 years earlier because he's trying to convince this church in Galatia what it means to have a relationship with God. And so he takes them all the way back to the story of Abraham. How many of you have heard of Abraham? Everybody, excellent. But we're going to still dive in a little bit. And I'm going to give you a little theology lesson here. I, I, just bear with me. And there's going to be a couple parts that are a little uh, squirm in your seat-ish. So if you're kids and I say something that offends you, I apologize. Um, but, you know, it's a real story. So 2,000 years before Jesus, God has been trying to get the attention of his people. He's been trying to show them what a relationship with him looks like since the fall. And if you remember back with, with Adam and Eve, there was a time when God had a right relationship with his people. There's only two of them. And it didn't last very long, but it was there. And this relationship was, God, you're not God. I'm king, you're not king. But we can have a relationship that way because the, our relatedness is in the right order. But then that serpent came along and he said, hey, are you sure you can trust him? And they said, whoa, I, we never thought about that. Enter sin. And if you think about it, sin, that thing that separates that perfect relationship with God, sin is any time we're trusting something else to be what only God can be. That's all it is. When you say, oh, I don't need God for this, I, need, I just need this. Or, or, yeah, you could pray, but money's going to solve this problem. That's why we call it sin. Sin is rooted in this idea that you can find goodness outside of God. And that harmed our relationship with him. And so he said in his sovereign wisdom, after Noah, after the Tower of Babel, he said, you know what? I'm going to create a relationship with somebody, a regular person. And I'm going to use him and his heirs to prove to the world what my relationship is supposed to be like. How do you relate to a God? And he said, I'm going to show them through this guy. And he cho chose this guy named Abraham. He was Abram at the time. Then his name was changed to Abraham. We're going to call him Abraham, though, for the sake of argument, okay? Or I'll do what I did first service and still continue to call him Abram. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So he says, I'm going to pick this guy. And it, you might know the story. In, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls on this man, Abram. And he, and he makes these giant promises to Abram. He says, Abram, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, your, your, your heirs, your seed is going to be blessed. Those who oppose you, I will oppose. And he says, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. So Abram, well, and, and he tells Abram, go ahead and take everything and leave and go to the place where I'll show you. So Abraham in obedience says, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and leave my family. Not, not normal in that culture. In that culture, you, where, you bore, where you're born is where you die. Your land is everything that you have. And so he walked away from everything that could bless him worldly and trusted in God. Way to go, Abraham. You did it. But then Abraham, who's 75 at this time, starts to wonder how this is going to work. How am I going to be, how is my heir or my children, my lineage going to be the blessing of the world when I don't have one? See, Abraham didn't have any kids. And he was 75. His wife, Sarah, was 66 at the time. And so if anything was going to happen, it needed to happen quick because biology, right? And so, so he makes this promise. Well, 
Abram, Abraham follows after God. He goes to the lands that God leads him to. It, he didn't do everything perfect. There was some sin involved. I mean, at one point, he actually turned his wife over to Pharaoh and said, oh, no, this is my sister. You can marry her. What? So there were some major, some major dings along the way. But then 10 years after this, Abraham's now 85 years old. Sarah's now 76 years old. And, and God comes back to Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, I am your shield and your great reward. And Abraham says, cool, because last time Abraham didn't say anything back to God. This time he said, okay, but here's the deal. I don't have any kids yet. And biology says that it's not going to happen. So I have this guy, he's a servant, his name's Eleazar. I'll let him be my heir. And God said, no, no, your heir's going to come from you. And then God goes on to make a covenantal promise with Abraham. And in this covenantal promise, remember, Abraham is who God chose to show the rest of the world what it looks like to have a relationship with God. So he says, I'm going to make this covenantal promise with you. Now, the way that promises worked in that time, which it would be good if it was still this time, is your word was everything. If, if you had no integrity, if you didn't have any word, you had no value. And so to, when they made a promise, they would often they would make a sacrifice or a blood covenant, a blood promise to kind of solidify the terms of the promise. And this was done way before Abraham. This is how old cultures, ancient cultures used to do covenants or promises with one another. And here's what they would do. They would take some um, valuable animals, not trash animals, but they would take animals like, like heifers and, and things that they actually treasured and they would chop them in half. Oof. And they would literally cut them in half. And what they would do is they would half on this side and one half on this side. And then everybody who was coming into this promise, they would come and they would make their oath in between the halves. And the reason they did that, I mean, uh, kind of in lore, folklore says that they actually let their, their, the, the train of their robes dip in the blood and they, weren't, they didn't wash them because it was supposed to be a reminder of the covenant. And what they would do, they would cut these animals and then they would make this oath in between the animals. And in essence, what they were saying is, let it be done to me as it was done to the animals if I break my word. Now, I don't, I don't know how serious they took that, but you got to remember, if you're making a promise, it's not just going to, you're not going to make promises casually or haphazardly because it costs you just to make the promise. It's going to cost you animals just to make the promise. But then in the middle of the promise, there's a much larger promise where you say, if I don't keep my word, let it be done to me the same as these animals. So Abraham, he, he says, God, I don't, have a, I don't have an heir. How about I make my servant heir? God says, no, it's going to come from you. So Abraham, it says, he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. You might recognize that phrase. Paul uses that phrase in both Galatians and Romans. But he says that God says, you know what? Because you believe me, I'm going to count you as righteous. And, and this word righteous doesn't just mean sinless. We often, when we think of the word God sees me as righteous, we think sinless a lot of times, which further down the line, it can mean that. But in this context, a covenantal context, righteous actually means right relationship, which means Abraham believed. He said, I believe you. And God said, well, then now we have a right relationship because I need you to trust me. So then God tells him to do this covenant sacrifice. He says, go ahead and get these special animals, cut them in half and set them on the ground. So Abraham is now thinking, okay, God's going to 
this promise that he made me, he's now going to come with terms. What are the terms going to be? What is God going to require of me? And what is he going to do on his part? Because that's what the whole point of a blood covenant is. Who's going to do what? So Abraham gets this ready and he goes, okay, good. Now I know what I can do to, to make this promise come to fruition. But then something really crazy happens. It says in, in verse 15, I mean, verse 11 of chapter 15, that, that a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and a dreadful darkness fell on top of him. And then it says that God walked through the covenant slices by himself. And he actually, it said that God went through like a flaming, a flaming um, smoking pot, smoking flaming pot. You can't say smoking pot in church. Uh, <laughs> I just did. <laughs> so, so Abraham is asleep, and then God goes through this sacrifice, and he goes through his two things. The first thing he goes through is a smoking, wait, a flaming, sm- wait, smoking flaming pot. You got to get it in the right order. We're talking about weed again. And, and so he goes through as this, and then he also goes through as a flaming torch, the Bible says, which in that culture, this, this food pot is what it was, represents provision. I'm making a promise to provide. And then the, the, the torch is a representation of light, bringing light and purification to the world. Well, well so now Abraham's a and God's going through this covenant without Abraham. And in essence, what's happening is God is saying, you and I are going to have a, a covenant, a promise together. But here's the deal. You don't have any responsibilities in this covenant except to trust me and I'm going to do everything else. He says, I'm going to do everything. I just want you to trust me. It even goes as far as saying, if you fail on your side of the covenant, I pay the price. If I fail on my side of the covenant, I pay the price. It's all on me. Well, the next thing that happens is God makes this covenant, and he actually promises Abraham, which is really cool. He says, guess what? Your family's going to go to Egypt, and then for 400 years they're going to be slaves, but don't worry, there's an expiration date, and they get to come back out, and you'll come back here. Well, well it's cool that happened, like history. He actually, his descendants went into Israel. We all know the story. Joshua leads them, no, Joseph leads them in. Joseph dies. Pharaoh forgets his promise to Joseph. Israel becomes slave. Now we make movies about it, right? So this all happens. But the reason this cup in place. It was God was making a promise to Abraham to say, Abraham, I've got you. I've got you. And there's nothing you can do to break my promise to you. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. Just trust me. Well, in, in a perfect world, Abraham got this. We're not in a perfect world. Enter Sarah. So now Abraham is now, it's 10 years have passed and he doesn't have a kid. Remember, we just talked about this. Now Abraham is, is starting to wonder how this promise is going to come about. So he says, I have an idea. Or Sarah, his wife, has an idea. And she says, I got an idea. If the heir has to come from you, what, since I can't have kids, biology, I'm 76. That's not, I think the Bible term is, the way of the woman was no longer with her. <laughs> but, so she says, well, I can't have a kid, but I have this servant, Hagar. Why don't you have a kid with her? So Moses or Abraham says, okay, well, let's do that because then it's my heir. So he has this, he has a child with Hagar and the fruit of that is this boy named Ishmael. Well, God doesn't shame Abraham. He doesn't do anything. 14 years go by 
And God appears to Abraham again. And this time he says, hey, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your heir. And he says, awesome. Here's my heir. And he says, no, 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 you're going to have a child with Sarah. And, and Abraham, the Bible says, laughed. And then he said, no, let's use Ishmael. And God said, no, you're going to have a child with Sarah. Well, a year goes by. Sarah has a baby named Isaac. We all know a lot of the story of Isaac. Isaac was the one where from Isaac we get Jacob and Esau. From Jacob we get the 12 tribes of Israel. From the 12 tribes of Israel, after a whole lot of idolatry and division, we get King David. From King David, we get Joseph, who is the father, the earthly father of Jesus. It didn't come from Ishmael. And the reason I think Paul, Paul goes really deep into this, the Apostle Paul in Galatians and Romans, to explain what this means to us today. Because he knows that through all of the history of Israel, they kept trying to have a relationship with God the same way that Abraham tried to have a relationship with God. And Abraham did it right one way and he did it wrong one way. And it's not just that the wrong way is less of a, of a win, it's a total loss. Because ultimately, he said, God, you give me the direction, or you guide me, you give me vision, whatever, and then in my effort, I'm going to do the rest so that I can present to you, God, what I did. Ishmael, here's what I did, God. And the reason that I talked about the covenant that was right before this was because when God made this promise, it wasn't based on what Abraham could do, his Ishmael. It was based on what God could do. See, when, when they, when, from the lineage of Abraham through Isaac, if you read through the Old Testament, you get to see that God has tons of Isaacs. And here's what I mean. God does stuff that we could never do. You know, when, when, when Israel became enslaved in Egypt, how'd they get out of Egypt? Did, they, did, did, did Moses rise up with an army and fight them? No, God showed up. God had an Isaac moment and he showed up. You know, when they got to the edge of the Red Sea and the army was facing them and coming against them, they could have turned around and said, well, I guess we're going back to slavery. But instead, God showed up and had an Isaac moment and he did something only he could do. All through the Old Testament, you see these stories where God says, look at what I can do. Look at what I can do. Look at what I can do. Now, trust me. After Moses, or, or, or after the, the Red Sea, when they went into the wilderness, God then gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. They call it the Mosaic Covenant. And in this one, he said, here's perfection. You want to look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is perfection. Here's perfection. Good luck trying to live up to that. If you want to have a relationship with me based on what you can do, good luck. Here it is. Paul in Romans is not nice to the law, by the way. And in, 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 in Romans, Paul kind of actually, he, he says that the law is kind of a negative, a, a negative object lesson. The whole point of the law was to show you that you are sinful and that you need God. But see, over time, the Ishmael in us continued to flourish. And we kept saying, but God, look at what I can do for you. But God, look at what I can do for you. God, look, I did this. Do you love me now? God, look what I did for you. I did this. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you love me now? God, I've been tithing. Do you love me now? 
And it's so funny that when Jesus came down, when Jesus, when God came down as a human being, I love in, in Matthew, says that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus came down, it was, it was a, the beginning of a new covenant, a new promise where God said, you know what? This isn't working. I'm gonna show you what it looks like to have a relationship with me now. He said, I'm gonna put skin on. I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna experience every bit of temptation, weakness. I'm gonna have all the limitations of you and I'm gonna show you that in your weakness, you can know a strong God. When Jesus came down, he came down to prove to us that it doesn't matter how much work and effort you put into your relationship with God, that doesn't make him love you. The thing that makes him love you is because he chose to love you. And all you can do is say, I trust you. Isn't it funny that in, even after Jesus, this new covenant where our sins have been paid for, and not only paid for, but Jesus actually frees us from our sins. Did you know that, by the way? Like we can actually choose to not sin because of the Holy Spirit. Different sermon. So Jesus actually comes and he sets us free from our sins. And then Paul says, nothing changed. Look at Abraham. Abraham had right relatedness or righteousness with God by trusting. It never changed. And when, when Jesus found it was to prove to us again, this time by carrying the payment. Remember I told you when they, when they walked between those two covenants, God walked through by himself, which means God is saying, if I fail, may it be like this. If you fail, let, it, let me be split just like this. And think about the cross. See, when, when, when the covenant, when we could not get to God still because of our wickedness, when we could not have that right relationship with God and we kept trying to earn it and earn it in our effort, in our effort, in our religion, in our rituals, God said, well, then I'm going to set it right for you. And he came, lived the life that we could never live with all the weaknesses we have, showed us what it looked like to trust God as a father. And then he paid the price for the broken covenant. Do you see that? and he died on the cross for us. That's why I entitled this message The Christmas Gospel. Because the gospel, the story of Jesus doesn't start when, when he was born. The story of Jesus started way before. God's had this plan to give us, bring us back into right relatedness with him from the very beginning. And today we are in a new covenant. We are on the other side of the cross where not only do we, do, not only the disciples, sometimes we're jealous of the disciples because they got Jesus, um, they got Jesus part of the time. We get Jesus all the time. Do you get that, right? The Holy Spirit is in us. That's why one of, our, one of our identity markers as Christians is we're called in Christ. That's the Apostle Paul used to call us in Christ. You are in Christ. Those in Christ. We, we have something greater than what the disciples have. We have God in us. Emmanuel, the incarnation, God with you. And, and, and today, one of the reasons that God challenged me on this is a lot of times when I'm thinking of Emmanuel, God, God with us, God coming, I don't, I don't celebrate in my heart because I think I haven't done enough. But I haven't done enough. I haven't kept enough rules. I haven't tithed enough. What happens if I hear his footsteps coming down the hall and it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> you're gonna wait till dad gets home. A lot of times that's the only picture I have of God coming where I've done something wrong and he's coming to punish me. And I forget this picture that Jesus gave us where he said, you can now call him father. He is not just Yahweh, he is now father. 
and you can see him as a father. You can trust him as a father. And I'll tell you what, it does not matter how many times my daughter fails, I'm always going to be there to hold her. Do you know that? Every dad out there, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean that there's going to be times where she has to learn hard lessons. That's called being a parent. But there's nothing my daughter could ever do to lose my love. Ever. And from the very beginning, God has been trying to get us to recognize, I am your father. I love you and I accept you. I just want you to trust me. That's it. I just want you to trust me. Doesn't mean you're always going to understand. It means I want you to trust me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I'm good and I'm dad and you can trust me. This really challenged my view of God. And we're going into the Christmas season where you're going to have the opportunity to be totally just lamp, just laid down with all of the traditions and all of the, man, there's so much stuff. This is the busiest season of the year. And in the midst of that, don't forget why he came down. He came down because he wants to be father again. He wants you to trust him again. And if you think that God loving you means that you have to do a certain number of tasks or a certain number of things, you're trusting in an Ishmael. It won't work. When we get the opportunity to trust in an Isaac, you know that there's nothing that you could do to make your relationship with God right in your own efforts. Nothing. You could go to church every single day of the week, which some religions do that. Some churches do that. <laughs> Not us. <laughs> Spend time with your family. You can go to church. You could tithe all, everything. But if you're, if you're trusting in what you bring to the table so God will say, yes, I love you, it's not going to work. All you can do is say, God, I recognize that you're Father and you love me, and I'm going to trust in that. That's what God wants us to do. That's the relationship he's looking for. I'm going to read that passage from Galatians one more time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that they may receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And I know that thinking of this idea of, well, it's not about your own effort, is no effort. There's absolutely effort because we have the Holy Spirit in us. But your effort is not to win the affection of our Father. Your effort is, we, we have effort as Christians to be able to experience the love of our Father, to get sin out of our lives, to stop trusting in things that can never hurt, to, that can never do good to us. That's what the effort is. But if your, your spiritual effort is all aimed at hoping that God will one day accept you and approve you, you're trusting in an Ishmael. We need to be trusting in an Isaac. We need to trust that God did it all. He did, he was both parts of the covenant, that God did everything we needed. And all we can do now is trust him. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you that with, with so much pressure from uh, just the brokenness of sin and religion, it's so easy for us to get trapped in this idea that 
you approve of us or you love us based on our own merits, our own effort. Lord, I thank you that Jesus flipped that right on its head when he called you Father. And when he allowed us to then call you Father as well as adopted sons. Lord, thank you that you love us and accept us now. Lord, I thank you that the works that we do have in our lives are works based out of our relationship with you and not trying to earn it. Lord, I thank you that this Christmas season is we're celebrating you coming down in the flesh that we don't forget that it means God with us. You are here with us now. Lord, thank you for coming down and showing us what it looked like to trust you in the midst of trial. Thank you for coming down and showing us what it looked like to trust you in the midst of, of uh, even death and despair. Lord, thank you for coming down and showing us what it looks like to trust a good father. Lord, I thank you for the trials that you bring in our lives that shake us up and, and reveal what's really going on in our hearts. And I thank you that in the midst of every single one of those trials, you are a good father waiting to embrace us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in your name.